Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It is uh, 710 in the Twin Cities, 75 degrees. I know a lot of people heading downtown to go see Coldplay just a few blocks from here. That would be kind of fun, wouldn't it? See Coldplay. But you want to stay right here because we've got a really fascinating story to talk about. Um, I, I do like to, you know, talk about books. If I have a book that, you know, I think is really cool or that people might like or interesting, you know, I like to give it a, a plug. It's rare, though, that I find a book that um, is really well written. It's got a, a riveting story, and you also find yourself learning about a real world situation or the existence of things that you really had absolutely no idea about. And I did come across a book like this and recently, and it was fascinating. The book is called uh, American Kingpin. It's by a writer called Nick Bilton, who's going to be my guest this hour. And it's, it's the story of a young man called Ross Ulbricht. And it is a real story, a true story. Uh, it's, first of all, it's beautifully written if you're, you know, really well written. Great read. You know, if you're looking for that vacation book, this is it. I mean, it has the kind of feel of a thriller. But what it also does is it describes this story of a young man who had obviously a brilliant mind, uh, has a brilliant mind. He is still alive, although he's now in prison uh, for life. But his extraordinary journey in setting up a website that was called The Silk Road – uh, it's a website he created on the dark web that sold every kind of illicit drug you can imagine and more. And it, by the end, in a couple of years, it was a billion-dollar enterprise. And the hunt to take this man down, this young man, he was only in his late 20s, I believe, uh, is an extraordinary detective story. So the book, as I said, it's a thriller it reads like a thriller. It's a great vacation book. But what I thought was so amazing about it was that it's a true story and it's one that takes you into a world that of bitcoins and, and, you know, websites that, you know, have, are, are based in scam, but Scandinavia are entire, you know, web entities that are based in Scandinavia. It just, and to this day, this man, even though he was convicted or finally arrested and convicted, he remains what is mystifying to me. He remains a hero to so many. Uh, so I just want to welcome uh, Nick Bilton, uh, the author of American Kingpin, uh, on, and thank you so much for joining us this evening. Thank you for having me on. Well, absolutely, and and uh, you know, also you write for Vanity Fair. You've written for uh, the New York Times, Hatching Twitter. Um, but I, I just I got to tell you, I don't know if you heard my little song and dance here about your book. I, I just really think, folks, if you're looking for a good book to read that's entertaining and thrilling, this is it, American Kingpin. Um, Nick, l- let me ask you, how did you first latch on to this story? Because it's, it's an unbelievable story. Yes, yeah, so I was working for the New York Times. I was, I was a reporter there, columnist for about 10 years. And I, um, while I was there, I, I wrote about 
you know, technologies that were changing society and, you know, in a variety of different manners and ways and, and continued to kind of cover things like driverless cars and Bitcoin and so on and so forth. And and a part of what, what I covered was, was hackers and people that, you know, broke into banks and Sony and so on and, um, and got a little familiar with the dark web as a result of that. Um, and, um, and I knew about this website called the Silk Road. And I lived in, at the time I lived in a part of San Francisco called Glen Park and Glen Park is um, this kind of sleepy part of San Francisco where firefighters and, and teachers and so on live. And, um, and I used to walk my dog every day past this library, tiniest, probably the tiniest library I've ever seen in my life. Um, and I was just to wonder who would be in such a library working. And when the Silk Road site was break, taken down, um, uh, and the creator of it, Ross Ulbricht, was caught, um, I, uh, he was caught in that library two blocks from my house. And I just found that so fascinating that, you know, El Chapo, you know, uh, operated his website from, um, in Mexico, his website, his, his business, his drug business from, in Mexico with, you know, bodyguards and God knows what else. And, uh, with, you know, M4 carbine machine guns and so on. And here was the guy running the biggest drug guns, um, and hacking website, uh, the internet had ever seen, um, as you said, that was worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And he was doing it out of the public library right by my house. Right. And, and also coffee shops. And, and when he was arrested, he was only in his late twenties, right? Yeah, he was in his late twenties and he, um, uh, he was a really sweet kid from, from, he was a, you know, studied physics at the university of, um, uh, first university of Texas and later the, um, uh, Penn state. And, and when he was at Penn state studying physics, he, re- he got really into, um, uh, libertarian politics and liber libertarian thinking and so on and so forth. And, um, this led him to this idea of like, you know, he, he, you know, he was the guy who would help stop and help an old lady across the street. He would volunteer on weekends and so on. And, uh, this led him to this idea that, well, what if you could, um, uh, what if you could build a website where people could buy and sell drugs? And the concept for it was essentially, um, <clears throat> you know, should drugs be legal in his mind, they should be. Um, and, um, and because they should be legal, um, he believed that um, uh, that it would make the world a safer place, that people would be able to buy drugs like marijuana and um, magic mushrooms and, and mild drugs like that without having to worry about going to jail, that people could buy harder drugs without having to worry about getting, you know, something that was mixed with rat poison or something like that. And his theory was um, if you built this website, uh, just like an eBay, but for drugs and later for guns, that it would it would make the world a better place. And and that was the route he went down. And so th- this this young man, uh, Ross Albrecht, you know, was a brilliant guy, studied physics, um, very also very handsome. I mean, almost sort of like a young movie star looking guy. Um, very sweet. Was an Eagle Scout. Uh, this is kind of sort of you know classic sort of all American guy. Decides he's going to do this. Thinks that, um, and, and that's one of the things. Do you really think that um, he was when he started out creating this website? He obviously did have these strong libertarian and passionate libertarian leadings. Do you think that he really did start out with the thought that this was a, a, a good thing or you know, sort of a libertarian philosophy or obviously he was motivated by trying to make some money because he had some other ventures that didn't turn out so well? 
Yeah, he's definitely motivated by trying to make some money, and I think that that anyone who is doing a website like this is doing it not just for his altruistic goals, but also for the money he's trying to make. And so he's definitely motivated by that, but I think he's also motivated by, um, uh, you know, he, he believes, okay, if I do this thing, I can really change the world, but at the same time, I could become a billionaire. Um, and, which he, which uh, sort of on paper, he was a billionaire in, in just, it was like a couple of years, right? Yeah. He, in, in a matter of, uh, of, um, I believe it was, well, so it, it, he was caught and he had a million, tens of millions of dollars, but, um, in, uh, in a matter of, um, uh, of about, oh, uh, I think it must've been a year. He was making tens of millions of dollars. And when he was caught, you know, the website was, he had hundreds of millions of dollars in transactions. The thing is so fascinating is Bitcoin, um, which is the cryptocurrency people would use to to buy and sell things on the website. The value of Bitcoins have changed dramatically. And he um, he was, uh, when he bought them, um, when he was running the site, the Bitcoins were worth about 7 to $10 a piece. And today they're worth uh, 3500 So what, uh, I was actually speaking to someone yesterday about it. We were kind of doing the math. And he would probably be worth about two to three billion dollars today. Wow! See, and, and that's—I mean—that's what's. We have to take a quick break here, but we're going to have Nick Bilton. As I said, he's written the book *American Kingpin*. I also think that, um, and I don't—I don't know why the Cone Brothers aren't basing it on your book. I think they're basing—they're—they're they're doing a movie about no, this they story. Are. It's, it's, it's based on my book. Oh, it is based on your book. Okay, the Cone Brothers yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. who um, spent quite a bit of time here in in the Twin Cities. That they've lived here. They they grew up here. Um, so we kind of claim them as our own. Um, so they are doing the move. When is the movie coming out? Oh, it's Hollywood. So it could be a year. It could be 20. Okay. Cause I, I, I had heard that it was, <laughs> I had heard that it, it, it was based on the wired article. I just, I was like, how could it not be based on your book? Because as I said, folks, the book is, is American Kingpin. If you're looking for a good book to read, it, it's so, it reads like a thriller. That's not true, but it's true. And it's so exciting. So let's take a quick break. We're going to have more with Nick Bilton, the author of American Kingpin, after this on News Radio, News Radio 830 WCCO. 722 in the Twin Cities, Esme Murphy chatting with Nick Bilton. He's the author of a great book, American Kingpin. Uh, as we were just saying before the break, the Cone brothers are going to make a movie about this story. It's a true story about a young man who founded uh, a notorious website. It took the FBI, the DEA, a host of federal agents uh, a couple of years really to figure out who he was because he was running it anonymously. Uh, and Nick, you were, you were mentioning that he was, you know, Ross Ulbricht uh, latched onto bitcoins very quickly. This is a guy who is really smart. And I think one of the points that you made in your book is that he was building, you know, an enterprise kind of similar to an Amazon, but doing it by himself. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I you know, I've covered Silicon Valley for a long time, and you see these companies that start out, <clears throat> Twitter, for example, and there's, you know, there's 20 people working on it just to get a very, right. you know, an early prototype of of, a, of this company, you know, up on the internet, and. These are all people that like had degrees with engineering and so on and so forth. You take Ross Ulbricht and the um, uh, and the Silk Road, and he was a physics student and he taught himself everything. Um, <clears throat> he ended up, uh, of course, you know, getting some help from some people, um, uh, which was part of his downfall. But um, uh, but yeah, it's it's such a fascinating story. You know, there's these scenes in the book where. He's, you know, he, he needs product, as he calls it, for his website, kind of like Amazon. 
um, uh, needs to, needs things to be able to sell on their website. And um, he, uh, he he decides he's going to grow magic mushrooms. Um, and he first experiments by growing them uh, in his girlfriend's underwear drawer because they have to be in a dark place. Um, and then he he's that's successful, so he rents a a place just outside of um, uh, Austin, Texas, where he was staying at the time. And he um, uh, he starts to um, uh, he starts to grow pounds and pounds of magic mushrooms, and it's fascinating because he's coding the website, he's growing the magic mushrooms. He's doing the front end, the back end, everything, you know, when it comes to the website, the marketing, the design, the logos. And um, and at the same time, he, you know, in his spare time, he's watching Breaking Bad, uh, um, which is, you know, the biggest irony of it all, considering uh, right. how, how successful the site ended up being. And, and wasn't he ultimately, when he was arrested, didn't he go to that... Um didn't he go to that library to get better Wi-Fi to download an interview with yep. the, the founder, yeah, the creator he, he, of Breaking um, Bad? It's just yeah, the, the two to the bookends of the story, which are really kind of funny and sad at the same time. Is he starts building the site when he he's watching the show Breaking Bad, and he, but he always keeps commenting to his girlfriend that the show is unrealistic because something like that would never happen. And then he goes off and he builds this website, um, travels around the world, goes on the run, changes his name becomes on on the dark web known as as the the dread pirate roberts the most feared pirate to ever surf the internet um and uh starts you know ordering hits on people and having them killed or having them killed yeah and that's i mean that's and and your reporting i mean you obviously had access to a lot of people and, and you you sat through the trial right yeah i sat through the trial and i interviewed hundreds of people who had known ross throughout his life high school, middle school, elementary school, family, friends, girlfriends, so on and so forth, um, the teachers, you know, you name it. Um, and I also um, was able to talk to people who had, um, who involved in the case that had, had uh, hunted, hunted him down. And, uh, and it was, you know, the, the, the case side of things was, a, was, a, was just a much, as much of a mess as the website was in, in certain respects with lots of different competing Groups, the FBI, DEA, Secret Service, IRS, Homeland Security, all trying to catch this guy, and, and some of them not working well together, and some of them working well together. Um, and how how and, big um, was the manhunt for this? And it, it, he's, I want to say a kid, but he's 27, 28. He's running this multi-billion-dollar illegal drug enterprise. And and at the at its height, I mean, how many federal agencies and, and agents were actively involved in trying to figure out who he was? Because nobody knew who he was. I think that there were probably um, one of those ta- was these, what they call task a task force. There were task forces all over the country, and there were task forces all over the world. Actually, in Australia, England, you know, um, Thailand, and places like that. So, you know, I mean, it's hard to say exactly, but I, I'm sure that at some, at some point, at any one point in time, there were probably uh, a, a few dozen task forces hunting for him. And, and at least a few hundred officers involved in the case in, in one form or another, maybe maybe more than a few hundred. All right. And, and, you know, as you write in your book, I mean, this is a guy who's an Eagle Scout. He's, you know, got in PhD programs. He's you know, obviously very bright. He has a few business ventures that fail. He starts the site. And then there's a turn, though, and he starts ordering. I mean, what was the turn, do you think? I mean, because – what he ends up doing is not only is the mastermind of this 
billion dollar website that's selling drugs that end up, you know, killing people on, you know, like heroin and, and all of these drugs. But he also, because he feels his enterprise is threatened uh, and he, people are monitoring, he ends up actually ordering hits on people. And, and there were multiple hits he ordered. Uh, what he didn't know, though, is that the people he ordered the hits through were actually agents trying to figure out. Still some, of, fi- some of them. Some of them. Some of the, some of the hits were, yeah, and some of them were the, apparently the Hell's Angels and so on. But, but what happens, I think, is, is, you know, everyone, the question that no one could really answer when I first started reporting um, was, you know, how does this sweet kid turn, how does the sweet kid turn into this really bad guy? Um, and it's the same question as how does Walter White become Heisenberg? Um, and and but, the, but that, you know, that yes, but it's fiction, but it's also, you know, it's believable fiction, right? And so, and I think, you know, I wrote this book. It's it's a it's written like a thriller um, because it is a thriller of a story, um, and and I show over seventy two chapters, very short chapters, but uh, over you know four hundred words, four hundred pages. Sorry, that this kid does become that, and what happens, I think, is he builds this thing. It's growing at a, a pace that he could never in his wildest dreams have imagined. He, he's always dreamed of being a billionaire by the time he's 30, and he's completely on track to do that. And, um, and he believes, he truly believes, that he is making the world a better place by proving that buying and selling drugs online um, is a safer thing to do um, than, than doing it in, in, in the real world. And, and I think what happens is he gets to a point where, you know, he's got, he's got thousands of, of of people, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people buying and selling on the site. I remember, I think a, a year and a half in, he has this millionth user, and he's, he's incredibly excited because this millionth person has signed up for the site. But he's got all these people, and they're repeat customers, and they keep coming back. And um, and and a lot, uh, this incident happens where somebody threatens to give away, you know, all of the information about um, uh, the Silk Road and. Um, uh, and the people on it, and so on and so forth. Someone who gets caught, an employee, and um, and he ha- he's faced with this choice: like, what's the way to stop this from happening? And he also gets hundreds of thousands of dollars stolen from him. And he's like, what's the way? To oh, because people are stealing the bitcoins in the transactions. People are stealing the bitcoins. He has employees that are kind of going rogue. He has one employee that gets arrested, and um, he thinks the employee, while he's been arrested, has. Um, has been um, has been turned by the cops and is going to tell them how the Silk Road works and it'll, it'll the whole thing will come crumbling down. And his his philosophy is well, you know, Barack Obama when he was president, he would have to order a drone strike on a on a city in in Afghanistan to avoid people, someone being you know killing other innocent people. So that's just what he has to do as a leader. Um, or Steve Jobs would you know people were were killing themselves, they were committing suicide. At the iPhone plants in in um, in Asia because they're being overworked, but that was just the, you know he wanted to get if he had to get iPhones into everyone's hands in America, that was just the plight of of, of what he had to do as a CEO. And Ross believed, oh well, if I need to protect this website and the people on it, then then killing one person is just the decision I have to make as a leader of this website. Wow. All right. Listen, we are chatting with uh, Nick Bilton. He's the author of the book American Kingpin. Um, it, it's a great read. As I've been saying, it's a thriller. Uh, it, it's an unbelievable story, except it's true. And 
Uh, the Cone Brothers are going to be making a movie uh, based on uh, his book. We do have to take a break for weather. Uh, when we come back, we're going to have more with Nick Bilton uh, to talk about uh, one of the fascinating things I thought was that, that he was able to sort of build this site using a server that was based out of the country called Tor. Uh, the investigation continues. He is eventually arrested. There's a trial. Um, and now he's serving life in prison. Nick Bilton was there for, for all the trial. And, and the whole story is really, as I said, extraordinary. What also remains extraordinary to me is that throughout all this and even right now, to some people, Ross Albrecht is a hero. We'll talk more with Nick Bilton after this. You're listening to News Radio 830 WCCO. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. It is 7.37 in the Twin Cities. Esme Murphy with you until 9 o'clock. If you're just joining us, uh, we are talking with Nick Bilton. He is the author of the book American Kingpin. It is the extraordinary story, real-life story, of a young man who created a billion-dollar illegal online drug empire. Uh, the search for him, it was called The Silk Road. His uh, his name was Ross Albrecht, although he went by the online uh, nomer, uh, online name of uh, Dread Pirate Roberts, and finally was taken down, um, uh, arrested at a library. Uh, the feds were on to him. They arrested him. He was uh, tried in New York Sentenced to Life in Prison. Uh, the book is uh, going to be made into a movie by the Cone Brothers. And it, the book reads like a movie because it, it is really a thriller. Uh, Nick, one of the things I wanted to ask you about too is, you know, and I was just actually looking up the price of Bitcoins and how they've gone up. Um, you were saying that when Ross Ulbricht was uh, found, he had how, how many? I mean, he had just massive amounts of Bitcoins on him. Which back then well, were worth only a few dollars. Now they're worth four thousand dollars almost. Um, is it four thousand dollars already? It's like it's, it's, it's like thirty nine hundred. Yeah, it's literally it's thirty nine hundred dollars. Um, so one of the things that happened is um, with Bitcoin is uh, they, they the Bitcoin came out mm, about eight, seven, eight years ago, nine years ago. We should and, have all uh, invested, <clears throat> but anyway, <laughs> we should have all invested. Uh, the worst story is this famous pizza story where the first ever, this is just a little parenthetical here, but the first ever transaction that happened with Bitcoin was this guy who lived in Florida and he was, um, he worked at a typical IT job, lived in a tiny little two bedroom house that probably cost about a hundred thousand dollars. And he, um, uh, he had been screwing around with this new thing called Bitcoin, thought it was really cool. Um, and he collected about 30,000 of them and, um, he didn't know what to do with them. And he said, I'd love to do something with these and you couldn't buy anything back then. And so he posted something on the forums, the Bitcoin forum, and someone said, I will buy you two pizzas if you give me your 30,000 Bitcoin. <gasps> so, <gasps> so the, so the guy, so he says, okay, this is my address. This is my local pizza place. So the two pizzas show up. He takes a picture. His wife's like, wait, you got these for free. And he tries to explain it. She doesn't get it. He sends the guy the 30,000 Bitcoins. And those 30,000 Bitcoins today would be worth, um, you know, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So, anyway, but Ross Ulbricht was, was smart enough to figure that out. He also built his wife yeah. website using uh, something called Tor. And you, you, you write about the investigators going to find Tor. Uh, had you heard about this before? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Tor, so Tor was actually, you know, part of the irony of all this stuff is that, that you know, the – 
he was built, he was using everything that was built by the internet to, um, you know, built by the U.S., sorry, um, the entire internet infrastructure of the internet to, to subvert the laws of the U.S. And that was the thing that was such a, a mind boggling aspect for not only law enforcement, but for, for Ross himself. And, um, and, you know, there's this one agent, Jared Duryagan, who is a young agent who joins the Department of Homeland Security. And, and the way he gets into the case is um, he finds a pink pill, a single pink pill that comes into the Chicago airport um, through the mail system. And he's like, why is someone sending a single pink pill of ecstasy across the country um, and uh, um, to someone else? And he um, uh, and that's what you know, opens the case for him. But what he discovers and what's so terrifying to Jared is that in the same way that on 9-11 hijackers had used the U.S. planes and the U.S. Um, system for flying planes and airports and so on to attack America, he saw, you know, the Silk Road website as a U.S.-built internet, U.S.-built web browser, which was Tor, built by the U.S., uh, and so on and so forth to essentially attack America. And what his, what he envisioned would eventually happen, which it, it did, was that people would start to sell um, weapons on the Silk Road. And if that were the case, why would Al Qaeda need to bring weapons into the U.S.? They would just come in, buy some Bitcoin, and have them mailed to wherever they were staying, and 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 off they go. And so, um, you know, the thing with Tor was it was originally de- designed by the U.S. Navy to allow people who were stationed overseas to be able to talk to their family back home without worrying about anyone knowing what they were talking about or who they were. And that, of course, ends up being used for now drug deals and guns and God knows what else. Right. And, and But he, he was able to, and again, sort of all self-taught, um, he, he eventually, after, um, you know, th- there was one, well, one of the things is he, he needed, he eventually, it looks like there were several reasons for the downfall. He had to um, basically trust people because he couldn't run it all by himself. So there were other people involved. Uh, some of the agents who were on to him, they ended up, you know, becoming corrupted as well, which is amazing because they ended up stealing from him uh, on the site. Uh, but he is eventually arrested. Was he ever, was there, there was a plea deal offered to him, wasn't there? Yeah, so and to people listening, you know, the, knowing the end of the book it does not take away from the book in any way, shape, or form. The drama it, of how it all builds is just is so. It, it, it's I mean, I wrote the book, and it's it's difficult for me to read. It's so tense. Um, and and uh, I, I will um, say it's because you know this is how I first heard about this was I read about it in the newspaper, and then I started. I thought this was just an amazing story. You know, so you're right. It's it's not. Um, Anybody who Google Silk Road will will see what happened, but it does not. You're absolutely right. Does not diminish the, the thriller aspect and the intricacies of not only Ross's life and this building of this, you know, uh, unbelievable business he had, but also the tension of all of these law enforcement officers trying to find out who he was because they just knew him as Dread Pirate Roberts. Yeah, and 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 what's so fascinating is along the way. Um, you have, as you said, law enforcement that start to turn, start to work for Ross, and they start selling information to him, and uh, which is just, it's crazy. I mean, there's this one HD agent, his name is Carl Force, and he had, he had been a DA agent for many years, and he'd gotten in trouble um, because he used to be an undercover agent doing drug deals, and he'd started to kind of become too close to the people he was, he was hunting, and he had started to... Um, uh, lots of different stuff that he had done wrong. Eventually, I think he gets a DUI and he 
ends up in rehab and then gets a desk job. And, uh, um, and he, um, uh, he decides, you know, he figures he'll just wait out his days, you know, uh, as a DE agent. And, um, uh, and he goes and he gets involved in the Silk Road case and he goes undercover and he imagines in his mind, well, I can't get in any trouble on a website going undercover. You know, of course he couldn't have been more incorrect because he does. He starts to get very close to Ross. He starts to offer advice to Ross. You know, he starts to go through this whole thing um, until eventually he starts to sell information to Ross. He starts to bribe him and all these different things, and he he ends up getting almost getting away with seven hundred and fifty-seven thousand dollars in 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 American money. Wow. Um, so when he was was he offered a plea deal? Um, he was offered a plea deal. Um, um, it was. Uh, um, the plea deal was, I believe, about around 10 to life. Um, and he chose not to, um, he chose not to do it because I think he believed he could, he could beat the case. And I think that, um, you know, he, uh, he probably grossly re- regrets that now. Um, he, you know, the thing that with Ross is I think he was, he's an incredibly smart kid. Um, I mean, man, now, um, he's, um, uh, you know, this is someone who um, who was always the smartest person in the room, um, always the one that had the answers on the test. Got you know never studied for anything and was in, you know already had and an, an aced everything and taught himself you know not only physics, uh, which is an incredibly complicated topic within itself, but how to grow magic mushrooms, how to build a website, how, how to build a website on Tor, which is more difficult than any other kind of website. How to you know, build a transaction system. And if he were, if he wasn't, if he was to build that website uh, in Silicon Valley and go along to a bunch of venture capitalists and say, Hey, I, um, uh, I want to do this. Um, they would give him $2 million in funding to hire a team of 15 people. Right. That's what it would take to do it. And he did it himself. And, um, and I think that what happened is he was, he spent so long on the run and he got away with it for so long that even when he was caught, he thought that he had built systems in place that would outsmart the police. And he was, of course, wrong. He wasn't completely wrong. There were systems that didn't end up, that they never ended up figuring out. Um, but um, but he was he became kind of lost in his own bubble and his own power. And he believed that he would never be caught and that if he was, that he would never be found right. guilty and that he had, he had trap doors all over the place. And he was, he was completely wrong. Right, and so so he was offered like ten years to life in terms of a possible plea deal, and he didn't consider that because he thought he could beat it. He, he didn't consider it, and and um, and one of the reasons uh, um, uh, he didn't consider it was because he didn't realize that the amount of, he had all this evidence on his computer, and he didn't realize the amount of evidence um, that had not that the, where the, the FBI had been able to figure out the encryption software um, and break that. Um, they never got through to all of it, but they got through to enough of it, and. Um, the other thing was the the you know he kept going back and forth with the FBI with the the, the district attorney's office and he said you know um, we did do it we you know we'll do it we won't do it I want this I want that and and they kind of got fed up with it and they gave him like a one time offer and they said look if you don't do this we're going to throw everything at you and they ended up throwing what's called the kingpin charge and there's only a few people in American history that have been given it people like John Gotti and the way the kingpin charge works it's 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 a charge that you are given where um, you know, with, with mobsters, what would happen with big mob bosses, they would never pull the trigger and actually kill someone, but they would tell their employees to do it. Right. And, and so 
they were, it was really difficult to charge these people. So they came up with a new law where if you had five or more people working for you that had done things illegally, you were the kingpin and that was the charge and it, it carries a charge of 20 to life. Um, and they decided to use that. And, and the thing with the kingpin charge that was so detrimental to Ross was you could, you don't have to, they didn't have to charge him with murder or attempted murder or, or, or conspiracy to commit murder because, um, because that would have been incredibly difficult for them to, um, to actually bring up the evidence for us to, to, to see that through, but they can allude to it in the kingpin charge because you can allude to anything that was involved in the case. Right, and, and ultimately you sentenced that. Okay, listen, we do have to take one final quick break. I do want to ask Nick Bilton, again, he's the author of American Kingpin. It's, it's a fabulous book, available bo- everywhere books are sold. It, it really reads like a thriller. It's a true life story. Um, I want, when we come back, I want to ask him why he thinks that for some people – if you've listened to all of this, believe it or not, Ross Ulbricht remains a hero uh, to, to his supporters, and he's got a number of them. Uh, why, why he still has all of these supporters who really feel at, at the base of it, this is a good person. Uh, so keep it right here. You're listening to News Radio 830 WCC. 7.52 in the Twin Cities, chatting with Nick Bilton. He is the author of the book American Kingpin, The True Story of a young man who built a billion-dollar illegal drug enterprise, the two-year manhunt, two-year-plus manhunt, to try and figure out who he was, his eventual arrest. Uh, he uh, was convicted uh, on the kingpin charge that we were just chatting about, sentenced to life in prison. Um, he just lost his appeal. Um, Nick Bilton, do you think that you, we talked about him turning down the plea deal? What was the reaction when – the judge sentenced him to life. Well, from um, from Ross, it was uh, it was it was completely unemotional. It was just a uh, standard, just blankness. Uh, his mother, who uh, um, was in the courtroom, uh, you know, was uh, crying. Um, uh, and uh, but what was so fascinating was that, um, and it's still fascinating, is that. That there was a massive contingency of people who are incredibly supportive of Ross, and um, uh, and they believe that he is a hero. Um, and in the courtroom that day, there were those people there. They were chanting. There was one person that yelled an obscenity at the judge. There was someone who actually threatened online to, that they should kill the judge and her family. Um, you know, it, it's fascinating to me because. You know, there's been studies that have come out that have discovered that by making drugs available on the Internet, it is it has reduced crime and it has made things safer for people who want to buy drugs, which is great and everything. But at the same time, it has led to the opioid epidemic. Um, you know, there has been a, a, a more people who have died from, Absolutely. Um, in, the op- in the opioid epidemic than have, from guns. And in America, that is a huge number. Uh, over 33,000 people. Um, uh, and what's happened is, if you look at the statistics and the data, you'll see that starting about four years ago, five years ago, the same time that the Silk Road started, that there was a rise of o- overdoses of fentanyl. And fentanyl is a drug that is predominantly made in, in labs in China. Um, uh, it's, it's, what, it's, it's what kills Prince. Yeah, it's 50 to 100 times stronger than traditional heroin. It's cheaper than traditional heroin. And people buy it from these websites, um, and it gets sent to them. um, And they take it and think that it's just like heroin, and, of course, they overdose and die. 
And, in the, and I think it's, I believe, I'm not 100% positive, but if you look at the CDC data, I believe it's now accounts for about a third to a half of, um, of overdoses related to the opioid epidemic. This is a direct result of websites like the Silk Road. Um, and when I, where I sympathize with Ross is I do believe that he was right in this theory that um, by legalizing drugs, uh, mild drugs, you are making it you know, I don't think that people should go to jail for smoking weed there or for even for magic mushrooms or something like that. If you look over at the data over yeah. the last 30 years, there have literally been zero recorded deaths from magic mushrooms. There's two pe- there's two people that did die, but they we only have a few seconds died. here. Um, and, and so but so just to, to finish up. Um, and the, but yet people support him because he did this from behind behind a computer. And I think that that is I think it's ludicrous. Right. Well, listen, it's a great book. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Congratulations on his success. American Kingpin, Nick Bilton. We can't wait to see the movie. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Absolutely. A fabulous book. News Radio 830 WCCO. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. T